All praise and thanks is due to Allah Azza wa Jal. Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends, and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time. Welcome to the seventh lesson. Alhamdulillah. We'll be starting with hadith number 10. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلاة الرجل رجل في جماعة تزيد على صلاته في سوقه وبيته بدعا وإشرين درجة وذلك أن أحدهم إذا توضع فأحسن الوضوء ثم أتى المسجد لا يريد إلا الصلاة لا ينازه إلا الصلاة لم يخطو خطوة إلا رفع له بها درجة وحط عنه بها حطيئة حتى يدخل مسجدا فإذا دخل المسجد كان في الصلاة ما كانت الصلاة هي تحبس والملائكة يصلون على أحدكم ما دام في مجلسه الذي صلى فيه يقولون اللهم ارحمه اللهم اغفر له اللهم تب عليه ما لم يؤذ فيه ما لم يحدث فيه متفق عليه وهذا لفظ مسلم Abu Huraira may Allah be pleased with him he narrated that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the reward for salah performed by a person in congregation is more than 20 times greater than that of the salah performed in one's house or shop. When one performs wudu perfectly and then proceeds to the masjid with the sole intention of performing salah, then for every step that he takes towards the masjid, he is upgraded or is rewarded one degree in the reward. So it increases every time and one of his sins is eliminated until he enters the masjid. And when he enters the masjid, he is considered as performing salah as long as it is the salah which prevents him from leaving the masjid. And the malaika, they keep on supplicating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on behalf of him as long as he remains in his place of prayer they say oh Allah have mercy on him oh Allah forgive his sins oh Allah accept his repentance this will carry on as long as he does not pass wind meaning he does not break his hudu Rawahul Bukhari wa Muslim and this 
version is the version that you will find in or the wording that you will find in Sahih Muslim and Allah knows best so here we find that when a person performs the prayer in the masjid with the congregation other hadith it says that it is 20 times 27 times more rewarding than performing salah in his house or shop because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam observed with the congregation or he says that he alluded to the fact he showed, showed us he taught us that salah with the congregation is upholding the congregational prayer which Allah has made compulsory so here we find that the ulama the ulama of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama they have two views regarding Afwan they have two views regarding the ruling on making Jama Salah in the Masjid and the most preponderant view amongst the ulama is that congregational prayer is a fard ain meaning it is an individual obligation and not a fard kifaya and that it is wajib it is obligatory for the individual to observe the prayer with the congregation in the masjid according to numerous ahadith in which the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam informed us about praying in jama and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one of the proofs that salatul jama'ah is wajib that it is compulsory on every male is based on the following ayah in surah al-nisa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala verse 102 he says when you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are amongst them and lead them in salah, let one party of them stand up in salah with you. So as we know, this verse explains how to make salatul khawf. Making salah in a state of fear. So if Allah Azza wa Jal, and this is the argument of those that says that, it is wajib on every believing male to make salah in the masjid, to make salah in congregation. That if Allah has mandated the congregational prayer during the state of fear, if he makes it for you wajib in a state when you are fighting in jihad, and he explains to you that you can make a salah known as salatul khawf, then what's still about when it is a time of peace? What about it when it's still a time of no violence? When it's a time of security? Then it is Ola that you make salah in the masjid and Allah knows best. The Prophet وسلم, he explained the reasons for that, the multiple rewards. Where he says that when a man performs the ablution, he makes wudu in his house and he does it perfectly and then leaves his house 
Nothing takes him out except the prayer. So there was no reason for him to leave the house except that he's going to masjid. He never left the house because he needs to go shopping. He never left the house because he needs to go visit his friend. And then by the way, okay, you know what? I'm on the road. The Adhan calls that we might just go to the masjid. Or he sits by his friend's house and his friend says, you know what? Um, let's go to the masjid. No. His purpose was that he made wudu at home. Only to go to the masjid. This was his intention. That he made wudu at home, he left the house only for, or with the intention to go and go make salah. Allahu Azza wa Jal raises his position therewith and forgives a shortcoming for every step. The masjid is ba'id, the masjid is far. He needs to drive, the same thing happens whether he drives or whether he walks. And then the author says, whether his house is near or whether it is far from the masjid, every step or every way to the masjid brings him two benefits. The first benefit is that Allah Azza wa Jal raises his rank with it. And the second benefit is that Allah will cleanse him from a sin. Imagine, five times a day, you make Salatul Jama'ah, you make Wudu at home, with the sole intention of just going to the masjid. For every step that you take to the masjid, two benefits. One, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises your rank. And the second benefit, He cleanses us from a sin, subhanallah. And when He enters the masjid, and He performs whatever is written for Him of the nawafil prayer, he then sits down awaiting the fard prayer. He continues to be in prayer as in as much as he waits for it. So Salatul Jama'ah, for example, is at quarter to one, at quarter past one. He arrives in the masjid at quarter to one, performs tahiyyatul masjid. He sits, he recites Quran, he makes adkar. Alan goes off at 1 o'clock, for example. He gets up, he makes his sunan salah. Sits again until quarter past 1. So for that half an hour, Allah records for him that he is in salah. Even though he only made salah, 5 minutes when he walked in, he sat for about 15 minutes, then he made salah again, and then he sat a bit. But for that half an hour, Allah records that he was in Salah, subhanAllah. So whilst he was seated without observing any prayer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala records that he was in prayer. Here's a fourth thing in the hadith. The malaika, they will continue to supplicate for him as long as he remains in his place of prayer. They will say, Allahumma salli alayh, Allahumma ufir lahu, Allahumma arhamhu, Allahumma tub alayh. Oh Allah, bestow blessings upon him. Oh Allah, forgive him. Oh Allah, have mercy on him. Oh Allah, accept his repentance. This subhanallah is a great favor. 
my beloved students. This is a great favor for whoever comes with this intention and performs these actions. The point of reference in this hadith is he's saying, and then he leaves his house and nothing has taken him out except the prayer. So this again shows us the importance of intention. In that he wants to gain nothing but the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he intends nothing except that he needs to go to the masjid to pray salah so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can reward him. But if he went out of his house not intending to pray, that reward will not be written for him, such as when he leaves the house to go to the store. And hearing the call to pray, he goes to observe the prayer. He would not get the same reward because the reward is for he who leaves the house purposely for salah. However, the reward may be written for him from the time he takes off from the shop or store until he arrives at the masjid in as much as he left the place while in a state of purity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us success. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding so that we can practice this. And the last point on this hadith that look how simple it is to gain rewards from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next hadith. وعن أبي العباس عبد الله بن عباس بن عبد المطلب رضي الله عنهما عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فيما يروي عن ربه تبارك وتعالى قال إن الله كتب الحسنات والسيئات ثم بين ذلك فمن هم بحسنة فلم يعملها كتبها الله تبارك وتعالى عنده حسنة كاملة وإن هم بها فعملها كتب الله عشر حسنات إلى سبعمية ضعف إلى أضعاف كثيرة وإن هم بسيئة فلم يعملها كتبها الله تعالى عنده حسنة كاملة وإن هم بها فعملها كتبها الله سيئة واحدة متفق عليه Abdullah ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, he reported that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered that the good and the bad deeds be written down. And then he explained it clearly how to write. He who intends to do a good deed but he does not do it, then Allah records for him as a full good deed. But if he carries out his intention, then Allah the Exalted writes him down or writes it down for him as from 10 to 700 rewards and even more. But if he intends to do an evil act and he has not done it, then Allah writes it down with him as a full good deed. But if he intends it, 
meaning the evil act, and he does it, then Allah writes for him one bad deed, muttafaqun alayh. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he says that indeed Allah has ordered the good and the bad things to be written down. He's writing down good and bad deeds encompasses two meanings. The first thing is, or the first meaning, he's writing both in the lawhil, mahfud, the preserved tablet. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written everything in the lawhil, mahfud, in the preserved tablet. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna kulla shay'in khalaqanahu biqadaw. That indeed and verily we have created all things with qadr. Divine preordainment. Surah Al-Qamr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, وَكُلُّ صَغِيرٍ وَكَبِيرٍ مُسْتَطَرٍ And indeed, or everything, وَكُلُّ and everything small or big is written down in the lawhil mahfuz. Surah Al-Qamr again. So here we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Glory be upon him the most exalted He has written the evil and the good deeds in the lawhin mahfud When the servant performs them Allah the most exalted He records them according to his wisdom According to his justice and his favors And here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that these are two forms of writing. Yani an early writing, no one knows it except for Allah Azza wa Jal. Each of us, we do not know what Allah has written down for us. Whether of good or evil, until the action actually occurs. Someone is going to recite Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that he's going to recite Quran. He did not know that he's going to recite Quran. This was written in the Lawhil Mahfud until he recites Quran. Then he knows that he's reciting Quran. Someone he drinks khamar, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to steer us far, far away from committing sins. In the Lawhil Mahfud it is written that this person will be drinking on this particular day. He does not know it until they do the action. And then we have something which is known as a latter writing. This is when the individual performs an action. It will be written for him according to Allah's wisdom, justice and bounty. Then he explained it. The Prophet ﷺ explains how it will be written. He explained that if a person desires a good deed, but he is unable to do it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will record it as a complete good deed. An example of this. A man performed the ablution in order to recite the Quran. But he did not do that. Rather he did something else. A complete good deed will be written for him for the intention. Another example. A man he resolved to give charity. And even he indicated the money. So he said this hundred rand. I'm going to 
get a few coins, gonna get a few 10 rand notes, a few 20 rand notes. And I want to give it out in Sadaqah. However, later he withheld the money for whatever reason and he did not give it as Sadaqah. So a complete good deed will be written for him for that as well. And likewise, if he intended to perform two units of prayer, but he was later held back for some reason, a good deed will be written for him as this was his intention. So someone might say to you, why will a good deed be recorded for him while he has not done it? The response is that Allah's bounty is vast. Allah's mercy is vast. And his intention will be recorded as a good deed because his heart is full of contemplations of doing good. So if he has the niyyah to do good, and this is we see how this hadith fits in with the chapter, then Allah rewards him and it is written that his intention was good. But if he performs this as well, subhanallah, then Allah records for him 10 good deeds minimum and it could be multiplied up to 700 times if not more. Allah multiplies however He wills. So this variation in rewards is based on the level of sincerity and conformity. The more a person is sincere towards Allah in worship, the more the rewards he earns. Likewise, the more he follows the Prophet in his worship, the more the worship becomes perfect and the more he is getting rewarded sallallahu alaihi wasallam so this variation is based on the level of ikhlas of the level of sincerity and the level of conformity with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in actions so now let us look at the second part of the hadith as with regards to evil deeds. He said, but if he intends to do evil act and has not done it, then Allah Azza wa Jal will write it down with him as a complete good deed. So for example, someone he wanted to, he had the intention of stealing. But he remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is all hearing, he is all seeing. And he was overwhelmed by the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Taqwa came into his heart and he refrained from stealing. A complete good deed will be written for him thereof because he refrained from a disobedient act for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he will be rewarded. For that, as is contained in another version of the hadith, because he refrained from it out of fear for me, yani for my sake. So he decided to commit a sin. Another example. And then he remembered that it is forbidden. And so he refrains from doing this. Allah will write for him a good deed. But if he does an evil deed, 
it will only be written down for him as a single sin. So he stole, he drank alcohol, he committed zina. It's his only one sin. And here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ عَشْرُ أَمْثَالِهَا وَمَنْ جَاءَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ فَلَا يُجْزَ إِلَّا مِثْلَهَا وَهُمْ لَا يُذْلَمُونَ مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ عَشْرُ أَمْثَالِهَا وَمَنْ جَاءَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ فَلَا يُجْزَ إِلَّا مِثْلَهَا وَهُمْ لَا يُذْلَمُونَ that whomsoever brings a good deed shall have only the recompense of this and the hadith is proof for the significance of the intention and that intention would bring the individual to do good and it had been explained that if an individual intends evil and performs an action that leads to the evil but it is unable to do it. The sin of a person who did the evil will be written for him as was mentioned regarding the two Muslims who face one another with their swords. And this hadith we discussed last week. So when two Muslims face each other with their swords ready to fight, the killer and the slain are both in the hell and this is all based on a person's intention. So here we again we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that we always have intention to do good and we will try to fulfill this. But if we do not fulfill it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still rewards us for our intention and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the source of all success. This brings us to the next hadith, hadith number 12. وعن أبي عبد الرحمن عبد الله بن عمر بن خطاب رضي الله عنهما قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول انطلق ثلاثة نفر ممن كان قبلكم حتى آواهم المبيث إلى غار فدخلوه فانحد سخرة من الجبل فسدت عليهم ملغار فقالوا إنه لا ينجيكم من هذه سخرة إلا أن تدعوا الله بصالح أعمالكم قال رجل منهم اللهم كان لي أبوان شيخان كبيران كنت لا أغبق قبلهما أهلا ولا مالا فنأي بي طلب شجر يوما فلم أرح عليهما حتى نام فحلبت لهما غب غبوقهما فوجدتهما نائمين فكرهت أن أوقظهما أن أغبق قبلهما أهلا أو مالا فلبثت والقدح على يدي انتظر است 
استيقظ استيقظهما حتى برق الفجر وصبية يتضاغون عند قدمي فاستيقظ فشرب غبوقهما اللهم إن كنت فعلت ذلك ابتغاء وجهك ففرج عنا ما نحن فيه من هذه السخرة فانفجرت شيئا لا يستطيعون الخروج منه فقال الآخر اللهم إنه كان لي ابنة عمي كانت أحب الناس إلي وفي, وفي رواية كنت أحبها كأشد ما يحب الرجال النساء فأردتها على نفسها فامتنعت مني حتى ألمت بها سنة من السنين فجاءتني فأعطيتها عشرين ومية دينار على أن تحلي بيني وبين نفسها ففعلت أو ففعلت حتى إذا قدرت عليها وفي رواية فلما قعدت بين رجليها قالت اتق الله ولا تفض فلا تفض الخاتم إلا بحقه فانصرفت عنها وهي أحب الناس إلي وتركت الذهب الذي أعطيتها اللهم إن كنت فعلت ذلك ابتغى وجهك ففرج عنا ما نحن فيه فانفجرت الصخرة غير أنهم لا يستطيعون الخروج منها وقال الثالث اللهم استأجرت أجراء وأعطيتهم أجرهم غير رجل واحد ترك الذي له وذهب فثمرت أجره حتى كثرت وكثرت منه الأموال فجاءني بعد حين فقال يا عبد الله أدي إلي أجري فقلت كل ما ترى من أجرك من الإبل والبقر والغنم والرقيق فقال يا عبد الله لا تستهزي بي فقلت لا أستهزي بك فأخذوا كل فاستاقوا فلم يترك منه شيئا اللهم إن كنت فعلت ذلك ابتغى وجهك ففرج عن ما نحن فيه فانفجرت السخرة فخرجوا يمشون متفق عليه So this was a bit of a lengthy hadith but a hadith that we can draw a lot of benefits from. Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khaltab, so this was the son of Umar ibn Khaltab, may Allah be pleased with both of them. He said that I heard Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, 
that three men amongst those who came before you they set out until night came and they reached a cave so they entered the cave a rock fell down from the mountain and blocked the entrance of the cave so they said that nothing will save you from this unless you each supplicate to Allah by virtue of a righteous deed that you have done so thereupon one of them said oh Allah I had parents who were extremely old and I used to offer them milk before any of my children or slaves. So one day I went far away in search of grazing and I could not come back until they had fell asleep. And I brought the milk as usual for them to drink. I found that they were both asleep. So I hated to disturb my parents. And also I disliked to give milk to my children before them. My children were crying out of hunger at my feet. But I awaited with a bowl in my hand. For them to wake up. So he never woke up, his parents. When they awoke at dawn, they drank their milk. Oh Allah, if I did this only to seek your pleasure then deliver us from the distress caused by the rock the rock moved slightly but they were still unable to leave the ghar to leave the cave the second man said oh Allah I had a cousin whom I loved more than anyone else in another version it says as a man can love a woman so I wanted to have sexual intercourse with her, but she refused. And one year came, and this was a year of famine. So she approached me, and I gave her 120 dinars on a condition that she would yield herself to me. She agreed, and when we got together, for the sexual intercourse she said fear Allah ittaqillah and do not break the seal unlawfully I moved away from her in spite of the fact that I loved her most passionately and I let her keep the money that I have given her oh Allah if I did this for your sake, only for your pleasure, then remove us from this distress that we find ourselves in. The rock was moved aside, but they were still unable to get out. The last person, the third one, he says, Oh Allah, I hired some laborers and paid them their wages except for one. Because he departed without taking his due. So I invested his money in business and the business prospered greatly. After a long time, he came to me and he said, O slave of Allah, pay me my dues. I said, all that you see here, the camels, the cattle, the goats, the slaves, everything that you see in front of you, this is yours. Here the worker says, Ya Abdullah, O slave of Allah, do not make fun out of me, do not mock me. So I assured him that I am not mocking you. I assured him that I am not joking to you. So he took all the things and he went away. He spared nothing.
Oh Allah, if I did this for only seeking your pleasure, then relieve us from our distress. The rock slipped away aside and they were able to walk out freely. This hadith is found in Bukhari and Muslim. So here we find that this hadith starts off with a group of three set out. Yani three men until night came and they entered a cave. They wanted to spend the night there and this ghar, yani cave, they are found in mountains. People they usually enter into them and they sleep in them. They might take, might take shade as well when it's an extremely hot day and the sun is at its hottest. So these three men they entered, they spent the night and a rock rolled down from the mountain and it blocked the entrance. They were unable to move this as it was a huge boulder. Therefore they thought they should beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Azza wa Jal by means of their righteous deeds. So one of them mentioned and he mentioned his righteousness to his parents. The second one he perfected chastity and the third one he mentioned his piety and sincerity with regards to his worker. As for the first one with regards to his age parents, he says that I do not use, that I did not used to serve anybody the Qabuk. And the Qabuk is basically it is a drink that is taken during the evening. It means that he would not serve any person food or drink before his parents. He says neither my ahl nor my mal. So here ahl it includes his wife and children. And the mal here also includes the servants and the likes. Everyone that is under him as well. He had livestock which he reared. And he would return during the last part of the day and milk the sheep or cow. And he would provide the milk to his aged parents and then give the rest to the family and to his workers. And then he explains the story. That he did not wait. To, I mean, Afwan, he waited until the next morning. He waited until his parents woke up and then he would give them the milk. He even explains that his children were extremely hungry. His children went to sleep crying. But he says that, oh Allah, if I did this for your sake, then free us from the situation that we are in. So this shows us the importance of sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That our deeds we should only do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And ikhlas sincerity, this is the strong factor for the acceptance of our deeds. That Allah accepted this and the proof that Allah accepted this action from him was that the rock was moved slightly but not too enough so that they could move out. So this brings us to the second man. He begged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his chastity. He loved his cousin. She was extremely beautiful. He wanted to have an illicit sexual intercourse with her. In order for him to give her some form of money. She was in some need. 
It was famine. But what happens? He says that I will give you this 120 dinars that you asked for, but we need to do what adults do. So what happens? She was forced to do this. And just before the deed takes place, she says to him, Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not break the seal without its rightful owner. So she startled him. The fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She pointed to him that if he wanted that in the right way, she would have no objection. Meaning if he wants to marry her, then that is fine. But he says, Oh Allah, that I did this for your sake. When she told me, fear Allah, I feared you. And he gave the money to her, he left it. And this was also out of sincerity for the sake of Allah. And we find that the rock moved a bit, but still not enough. As for the third one. We find that he hired someone. He never paid the person. He used that money to buy other stock, to buy other farms, etc. When the person came back, he gave him everything. How many of us as businessmen, how many of us would do this? How many of us would actually, when the worker leaves, we use that money? We became richer, we got more stock, etc. When he comes back, if he worked for, his wages was 3,000 rand, we would only give him 3,000 rand. But this man, he maybe made millions of rands afterwards. He gave everything to him. He says, oh Allah, if I do this for your sake, if I did this entirely only for your sake, then free us. And they were freed and the rock moved and they could all leave the cave. So this hadith it contains a few points of benefit. Number one, birul walide. Being kind to one's parents. And also that righteous deeds, it removes us, it can remove difficulties that we face. And there should be something that each and every one of us do that nobody knows. Not even your spouse, not even your parents. That is a righteous deed that only it is between you and Allah. And when you go through some form of difficulty, when you go through some form of hardship, then you can utter this. Oh Allah, I did this or I did to do that. For your sake entirely, please remove it. And Allah will remove it. And also we learn about the virtues of chastity. Wallahi uqsim billah, I take a qasam by Allah. We live in a time, we live in a society, we live in a community where we've lost the concept of chastity. We've lost the concept of males and females being chased to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're always hearing cases, you always people are coming to you. Subhanallah, my spouse had an affair. This one is having a relationship with that one. Wa na'udhu billah. 
It's not something that is far-fetched. It is happening. And we're not going to go into the details of why and the reasons, etc. But turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Abdullah, Ya Amatullah. Turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you find yourself in this type of situation and seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, there's going to be seven people that will be under the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when there's going to be no shade except the shade of Allah. And one of those people is a man who was invited to elicit sexual intercourse by a woman of beauty and reputation, but he rather he says that I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here we find this is exactly what happened. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moved the rock because this person feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again a deed that no one knew except him and the female that was with him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hadith concludes by trustworthiness and taking amana and good care of others. We see a man, he worked. He left his wages when he came back. He never just got his wages. He got whatever that wages was used to invest. How many of us can say that we do this with our workers? How many of us can say that we are honest with our workers? How many of us can say that we are just with our workers? Besides their wages, how do we treat them? How do we honor them? So points of us to ponder. A few days ago I was reading an article of a Muslim man in the community he was in some business, I think, in arm response or security, whatever it might be, somewhere along that lines. And he never ever gave da'wah to his worker, one of the people working with him. But Alhamdulillah, Allah granted him that he had good akhlaq, he had good character, portrayed a good image of Islam. And after five years of his colleague or the worker working with him, he came to him on Friday and he says that I want to embrace Islam. So he was a bit in shock how this and he said no, I used to watch your interaction, etc. This is the type of Islam that we should portray. So amongst the points of benefit in this hadith is that it shows us Allah's power. He removed the rock from them by his permission. Neither equipment nor men were brought in to remove it. So this shows us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in command of everything. He also commanded the boulder to glide down to block the cave. And then he is the same Allah that ordered it to be removed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to do all things. So from here is lessons that Allah hears supplications. This is the first thing. He heard the supplication of these people and he answered them. Another lesson is sincerity. That ikhlas is among the means of gaining relief from distress. Each of them said, Oh Allah, if I had done this for your sake, then save us from 
distress. As for showing off, and the refuge is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and for those who will not perform actions except to be seen and to seek popularity and be praised by the people, that is like filth. And it goes to waste. Its possessor does not benefit from it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us and to make us of those who are sincere towards Him. And sincerity, it encompasses every deed that we do. We should not give out any portion of our worship to anyone else. Let everything be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we live in times, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we live in times where it is easy to get lost with regards to our good deeds. It is easy to advertise the type of deeds that I do. We feed the poor, let's put it on Facebook. I make tahajjud salah, let's put it on Instagram. I give sadaqah, everyone must know that I do it. Why? Yes, we have something in Islam, in the Sharia, there's no doubt. As the chapter or the door of encouragement. No doubt. But with certain limitations. But nowadays everyone. I did this. Put up the picture of the poor. There's no need for all this. You do things for the sake of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bless you in this dunya and the next. This hadith also teaches us a very important concept. And this is the concept of tawassul. So tawassul in Arabic it means to seek, to draw closer. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ That they desire a means of access to the Lord, meaning to draw closer to Him. So, tawassu is to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, here we have two types of tawassu. We have tawassu which is known as tawassu al-shari'i or the correct tawassu and tawassu al-bid'iyya or tawassu that is haram, that is not accepted. As for tawassu, the correct tawassu, then this is a means seeking to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through acts of worship which he loves and which pleases him. These may be wajib, these may be mustahab. And they may take the forms of words, they might take the forms of actions, or they might take the forms of beliefs. Let us look at some of these types. Number one, seeking to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by his names and attributes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are beautiful names and attributes that belongs to him. 
So call him by them and leave the company of those who belie or deny his names. They will be requited for what they used to do, Surah Al-A'raf. So here Allah is teaching us that when you make dua, call unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by one of his names that is most apt. For example, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. You want the forgiveness, you want the mercy, Al-Ghafoor. You have some type of difficulty, some type of financial issues. You know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Razaq. So call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you make dua, use the names and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second one is seeking to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by means of faith and tawheed. Allah says, رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا بِمَا أَنزَلْتَ وَاتَّبَعْنَا الرَّسُولَ فَاكْتُبَنَا مَعَ الشَّاهِدِينَ O our Lord, we believe in what you have sent down and we follow the messenger. So write us down amongst those who bear witness. O Allah, you are the Lord of the heavens and the earth. O Allah, you are the one that sent down the Quran. O Allah, you are the one that sent down the Anbiya. So assist us in good. We are going through some difficulty. Name the difficulty and Allah, bi'idhnillah, is going to assist you. And then the third one is to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through your righteous deeds and it can be through salah, through fasting, reciting the Quran, whatever deeds that you did that was good. And for example, this hadith that we did and from this hadith is that we learned that these three men, they came closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by means of doing something good. A person may also ask Allah by virtue of his total dependency on him. As Allah mentions in the Quran, when Nabi Ayyub, when he says, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَى رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسَّنِيَ الدُّرُّ وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ That verily distress has seized me, and you are the most difficult, you are the most merciful, of those who show mercy, subhanallah. He had nowhere to go to. He turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, إِذْ نَادَى رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسَّنِيَ الدُّرُّ وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ He went entirely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, Allah, I leave it open to you. You are the one that shows mercy, so show mercy on me. وَالذَّنُّونِ إِذْ ذَهَبَ مُغَاضِبًا فَظَنَّ أَلَّا نَقْدِرَ عَلَيْهِ فَنَادَى فِي ظُلُمَاتِ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ نبي يونس When he says that none has the right to be worshipped except you O Allah and truly I have been of the wrongdoers. He leaves his case entirely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's one more. That asking an alive, someone that is alive 
a pious person that is alive, someone that you trust to, make dua. So these rulings on Islamic tawassul, this is correct. And it varies according to its types. Some are wajib, seeking to draw close to Allah through His names and attributes, through tawheed. And some are mustahab, seeking to draw close to Him by virtue of good deeds, etc. So this brings us to the flip side of the coin, to the other side. This is tawassul that is forbidden. So what is tawassul that is forbidden? This is the attempt to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by means of things that he does not like and that is not pleasing towards him. Whether they be words, deeds or beliefs. So one example of this is trying to draw close to Allah by calling on the dead or people who are absent asking them for help and so on. This is a form of major shirk. Shirk al-Akbar which goes against Tawheed and means that a person is no longer considered to be a Muslim. And here obviously we need to pause for a moment. When someone says that this is a form of major shirk, this is going to lead someone out of the fold of Islam. When someone, for example, we find that someone is doing this, This does not automatically mean that because we said what we are saying now, this person is a kafir. Because you find that the enemies of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jamaah, this is what they use. Ah, you know this type, this group of people, they just made takfir openly. No one has made takfir. What they are saying is that if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, you fall into shirk. Now if Fulan does this, if someone falls into this, we need to speak to him, we need to explain to him. Maybe he did not know. But once he he was explained, once he was taught what is correct and he still persists, then it is another story. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ مُدْعُونِ أَسْتَجِبَ لَكُمْ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي that your Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ud'uni, invoke me, astajib lakum. That and ask me and I will respond to your invocation. Inna alladheena yastakbiruna. That indeed all of those who scorn my worship, they do not invoke me and they do not believe in my oneness. That indeed they will enter into Jahannam in humiliation. And this ayah Allah explains the punishment of those who arrogantly refuse to call unto Allah who subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether they call on someone other than Allah or whether they do not call on him at all out of their pride or self-admiration. Even if they do not call on anyone else, then this is not allowed. Allah says in various places in the Quran, for example in Surah Al-A'raf, verse 55, Invoke your Lord with humility and in secret. Allah commands his slaves to call on him and not anyone else. Allah says in Surah Al-Shu'ara, 96 and 97 verse 96 97 by Allah we were truly in manifest error 
when we held you false gods as equal in worship with the Lord of the worlds. And like this, there are many verses in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Tawheed, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about when calling out, when making dua, you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Right. And my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, this is something that has been in the Ummah and it is something that we need to rid this Ummah of. We need to bring the people back to Quran and Sunnah ala Fahmi Salaf. Leave this of calling on saints. And when calling on saints you will find that they give all sorts of interpretations. They give all sorts of things that does not even make sense at times. For example, they will say, yes, but you go to the doctor and you seek medication from the doctor and the doctor helped you. So what is wrong with going to a pious person that is dead? What is wrong with going to a grave and asking them to ask Allah, etc.? The question is simple. Did the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam do this? Did the companions do this? And if the Prophet sallallahu alayhi never did this, if the companions never did this, then for me to stay away from this, this is my Islam. This is what I will do. And why involved in things that could potentially lead that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes displeased with you. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. And next week inshallah we will be starting with the second chapter. Which is the chapter on Tawbah. Seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته